Are you having another Manic Monday? Whoa, whoa. No matter your title in the nonprofit world, are you always being asked to do more with less? More with less. Or maybe you're stuck doing the same thing with fewer resources. Fewer resources. Then the team at Agile and Nonprofits, a service of D.H. Leonard Consulting, will help nonprofit professionals just like you. Learn how to embrace an Agile mindset and how to implement the Scrum framework in their team settings to help create twice the impact in half the time. You can learn more and download their free Getting Started with Scrum checklist at agileinnonprofits.com. Because it's always just another Manic Monday. Well, hello there. I'm Kimberly Hayes-Demogo. And I'm Amanda Day. And you are listening to Fundraising Heyday Podcast. We're here to help you make sense of the world of fundraising and grant writing. We're always going to be here with how-tos, and we've got a big old how-to today. Um, And we also want to explore topics that are more systemic ways to really change the whole field of philanthropy for the better. True story. And new episodes are dropping every couple of weeks, and they tend to include cheesy sound effects and songs, because it's what makes us happy, so it's what we do. If you don't know me by now. You will never, ever listen to this podcast again. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry. Okay, I'm sorry. Oh, okay. Tangent. But that song was played on a very pivotal episode of Family Ties. And every time I hear it, I think of Alex P. Keaton. Anyway. Bless him. Bless him. This podcast is brought to you by our season six sponsor, D.H. Leonard Consulting and Grant Writing Services. Their team can help make grants less stressful by assisting you with grant readiness and training, grant research, grant writing, mock review, as well as providing numerous DIY resources, guides, and templates. Don't let grants stress you out. Did you know that with every fundraising heyday episode, we create a coordinating blog post on their website, dhleonardconsulting.com. Check it out today. So, Speaking of nothing to do with that. <laughs> yeah, we've got a few reminders. That, are there things that you would like to, are there other things that are reminding you of really great things to come? Um, sure. The fact that, you know, it's practically time for the grant summit hosted by the Grant Professionals mm-hmm. Association. And if you haven't been paying attention to Fundraising Heyday, you might have missed that Kimberly and I and the Fundraising Heyday podcast are going to be the official podcast of this year's Grant Summit. So if you're coming to the conference in person, we would love for you to come by and see us. It's November 1st through 4th. Um, Kansas, Kansas City. Yes, the city of fountains. So, um, yes, that's what Kansas City is called. Who knew? Um <laughs> the face is over that's fine broken. that's fine fountain's great glad to hear um, it the podcast booth will be by the exhibitors kind of in a quiet corner so feel free to come by if we're recording you can just quietly wave if not give us a shout um and if you're like 
that's great, but I won't be at the conference or I'm going to be uh, online this year. We plan to release a lot of these um, episodes at the beginning of season seven, which will start in January. Um, GPA will also be releasing some of the content through some of their platforms. So it's a great way if you can't come to the conference or maybe you're on the fence about it, you could kind of get an inside look to see if like, ooh, maybe I want to think about that next year. So we're very excited to uh, be working with GPA to make this happen. So, And if you're saying to yourself, I don't have time for conferences because I want to read books. Um, we're here for you because yeah. also starting in, in 2024, we'll be launching the fundraising heyday book club, book club, book club. Um, yeah. I don't have a, I don't have a cheesy sound effect for that quite yet, but it's going to come. We need a book club theme song. We're going to, we're going to find it. It's going to, yeah. it's going to bubble up. It's going to bubble up. Um, so what Amanda and I decided to do was start a book club because uh, we like to read and uh, um, we would like to be able to interact with people who enjoy the podcast. So if you like the podcast, you'll like the book club. If you already decided you're never going to listen to us again, you may not want to join the book club because it's going to be more, but it's going to be a, around books, a mix yes. of fiction and nonfiction because readers make better grant writers. Um, so we're going to, it's going to be a membership of either six months or a year. And if you want to find out more information about it, just go on over to our homepage on our website, which is heydayservices.com. That's H-A-Y-D-A-Y. And you'll be able to uh, sign up for the wait list on that. And so you'll be the first to know, and you can go out and put all your books on hold at the library or whatever it is you need to do. Um, another reason we're doing this is because we have been podcasting now since 2018, and we have been so fortunate to always have sponsors to cover like the production costs, the, the fees, the sound engineer, the website, all that good stuff. We've always gotten that covered, but we've never added on, uh, put things behind paywalls to help pay for us to do the research and the interviews and the content and our end of production. So we are also starting this book club if, if you're interested in supporting the podcast so that we can continue on for seasons to come and make it all free all the time to anybody with access to the internet, then joining the book club is a great way to do that. So just think on that, and we hope to see you there. Again, just go to our website, heydayservices.com, click on the book club button, and get on that wait list, and we will see you in January. Our first our first book club is in, meeting is in January, right? It is going to yep. be in January. Yep. So, and uh, it's you get to book club with us. If you've never been in a book club, um, it's always a fun time. So, Also, um, it is my pledge to you that we will talk about the book. In book yes, club. We, we will. will. Yes. I will ask the book club questions because I'm like, yeah, let's talk about the book. I'll be I'll I'll confess here. I'm currently in two book clubs. One is a local book club that we meet in person and it's people I've known forever and worked with forever. And it's really kind of an excuse to get together once a month. Nothing um, wrong. We do pick books. We do talk about them, but sometimes it's only for like five minutes. It's more it's an book club's an excuse to be social, right? So I've been in that kind of book club. 
Kimberly and I are in an online book club together with some friends. And that is a hardcore book club. Like we are here to talk about spent talking about the book. And that's what we mean. It'll be fun because we'll all be together, but we will definitely talk about the book. So you want to read, you want to come prepared. It's going to be awesome. Is it sad that I'm geeking out about it? I'm like, it'll be my third book club. All the book clubs, all the time. Man is going for a, a personal best number of memberships <laughs> in book clubs. So y'all help her, help her break that record. Yes. Help her break um, that record. So okay. Maybe we should actually talk about what we're going to talk yeah, about maybe. today. Um, so today we want to tackle something that comes to every grant professional's life at some point or another, whether it's really early on or m- maybe you skate by for a while. But um, at some point, a funder is going to decline your proposal. Dun, dun, dun. It happens. It happens every year. I get denied from funders. It happens, right? Um, yeah. Usually when anyone touches on this topic, it's a series of warnings about what the grant professional did or didn't do. And we'll certainly cover some of those things, but we also Absolutely. want to dive into some of the ways that grant decisions are made. And sometimes those de- that decision-making process isn't always clear or equitable or easy to follow. Yep. And there may be a rant or two about that. Yes. Hang on to your seats, friends. It's one of those episodes. So I know if you're a regular listener, you're completely shocked and surprised that we are going to rant about something. (laughs) Shocking. Um, But also, if you're a regular listener, thanks for being a regular listener. And if you're new, welcome. Hi. We're going to be talking about some how-tos, and we're also going to be talking about why, why, and how we could think about positive change, right? Because ranting can be good for the soul. But if all you ever do is rant and you never take a step to fix something, it's just that broken record. You'll just be ranting and ranting for the rest of your life. And pretty soon, nobody's going to want you in their book club. That's all I'm saying. (laughs) True story. So, okay, let's get started with some of the most straightforward reasons for grants getting getting denied or rejected. Um, The number one reason is probably that you've missed the deadline, right? So funders are pretty specific about deadlines. And, you know, sometimes it's like, it's due 3 p.m. Eastern time, or sometimes it has to be postmarked by a certain date. Because yes, there are funders who still ask you to mail it's an true, application. Y'all. It's true. It's another topic for another day. Um, and I'm going to guess that if you've been doing this long enough, you've missed a deadline or two. Could be for multiple reasons, right? One, it could just be time management. You didn't give yourself enough time to get the application finished and submitted by the deadline. That happens. Uh, or, maybe- or maybe you have too much on your plate because you're being treated unfairly at work. And that's contributing to your time management. I just want to float that out. That's absolutely fair. Um, Another could be lack of essential information or documentation. We've talked about it before. Grant writers do not work in a vacuum and we can't write alone. We need our peers and our colleagues and our coworkers and board members and different people to share vital information, sometimes vital attachments for us to be able to put together that complete package. And if you're waiting on something from someone and they don't get it to you in time, you're going to miss that deadline. Um, how about a power outage? I'm telling you, that's the only time I lose the internet connection is deadline day. And then yeah, you're like, great, great. Um, it could be other technical difficulties, right? Anybody ever have a portal malfunction before? Hello, I'm, I'm got not- a story for you. Yeah. So how about those of you who deal with just grants? That I know that was a catastrophe waiting to happen. So, but you know, just going, oh, I'm just going to ask my funder for an extension. Probably not the best attitude to have. I'm not saying a funder's never going to give you an extension, 
But if that is your general rule of, yeah, I'll just ask, especially if it's federal and state funders, they don't just willy nilly give extensions. Like I've seen on occasions, for example, the just grant situation, they actually extended that deadline by a week or two, but that was because so many people were emailing him going, the portal's not working. The portal's not working. The portal's not working that they finally realized, Oh, we have a problem. We need to fix it. And we need to give people more time. That's a rare thing when it comes to federal and state grants. Ask me how I know. Okay. And even other local funders, you know, they, they've set their deadlines for a reason, so you can certainly ask, but I wouldn't expect that an extension is going to be made. Now, Kimberly, you have, I've never, you know what? I don't think I've ever asked for an extension on a grant application deadline before because I just assumed the funder wouldn't give it to me. So I never asked for one. I know you have one example of how it actually yeah. worked. One time um, in all your years of being a grant professional. Yeah. And it was, it was back. It's been, it's been several years um, one of the reasons why I don't ever really want to ask for an extension is because everyone was given the same deadline. So that's not something I recommend that my clients do. I did it this one time, but I actually, it was sort of a roundabout way. So quickly, yeah. um, there was a, a, a foundation that I had been working with for a while and I knew the program officer. They had just debuted a brand new portal. What could go wrong? Who knows? But the point was my responsibility in this was I was feeling I had, I had gone to them for at this point, maybe five or six years in a row. I knew the person. They knew our programs. We were really, it was a really tight relationship. And I, it was the day that the, the grant was due and I had everything in, uh, I had everything finished the night before, but I came in going, okay, yeah, well, I'll just send it in today. It's all good. And I ate lunch and I came back and I sat down and I started to upload things into the portal and it was taking 20 to 30 minutes for each thing. And there were like 12 attachments and I would restart it and restart it and restart it. And I waited until the day, uh, I mean, that's on me. Their portal was not working with some of the most popular at the time browsers. I, I'm not, I wasn't creeping in on some little old browser. And so it was 4.30 and I still had five more attachments to go. And I'm like, it's not going to happen. It's not going to happen by five. It's just not going to happen. So I kept going. And at 4.55, and I'd already told my boss, I'm like, hey, you know what? This isn't going to happen. I'm just going to email uh, the program officer and let her know that I'm not turning in an application and this is why. So that's just what I did. And I just said, hey, person, she's now retired. But anyway, I just said, hey, I could not get through on the portal. I understand that it's five o'clock. And I just wanted to let you know that that's what happened, that things took way longer than I had anticipated. And um, I look forward to coming back to you next year. Um, with the proposal. And I just, and I felt like such a failure. And um, then I came in Monday and she had emailed me and said, well, we can give you till five o'clock today. And so the reason I think that extension even happened is that I was real clear about what was going on and my part in it. And so I didn't email her going, oh, I couldn't upload things. Could I have an extension? I just said, I'm not going to do it. I understand. You know, you had your deadlines and I understand, but I just wanted to let you know because we had been talking about this proposal. So that's the only time. Um, and that was that was then lit a fire under 
under me is what I'm going to say yeah. to go. Yeah, we are never doing this again. I, I mean, and it was because I had that relationship. It was because they had a, a long-term relationship with the, the place where I worked. And it was also because I had a really good track record of not turning things in late. So that's the only time, and I've never done it since. And I would, I would just say, no, it's not, it's not a way to live your life. Um, so yeah, so it did happen. And even though I felt good about it and we did get the grant, I didn't feel good about it because I'm like, you know what? It's because they knew me. It's not because, yeah. do you know what I mean? And yeah. so it's, while it's good to have those relationships, someone else who may have had a super competitive proposal turned it in on time. Did I push them out of the way? I don't know. So let's just try not to do that. Let's just try. Yep. Let's just try. There you go. Um, another reason, and let's be clear too, we can't cover every reason your app gets denied because this is not a three-year podcast. We're kind, of, we're kind of moving from things that are more grant professional centric to bigger systemic issues. So these first few are going to be things like, hey, step up on your game a little bit, but the, you're not the, you're your professional abilities are not the only reason that your grant may get rejected, just to be clear. So sure we're, we're moving from like simple to more complex. So Amanda's got the second most common reason. Um, another is you, your application is not complete. You maybe didn't add an attachment that was required, or maybe you didn't fill out a question or something like that. And, you know, as we start to move more to portal systems, it can be very easy to rely on the portal to be like, well, the portal says everything's there so I can hit submit and everything's uploaded. But I will tell you that's not always the case, right? So if you are doing a lot of applications through like grants.gov, one thing to note is when you, you know, are uploading things, they will have certain documents that you have to fill out. Okay. So you, you download them, you fill it out, and then you reattach them to the grants.gov portal for lack of a better explanation. That's kind of how it works, right? It looks for those required documents that they provide. It, in the guidelines, there may be other documents they want you to attach that wasn't a format that they you know, already have for you. So in that case, you're creating something new and you're uploading it. It doesn't have a mechanism always to check for those types of documents. So True. it may tell you all your attachments are there when in reality, there could be 12 attachments that you're missing, right? So you've got to double check. And I, I still remember, this has been years and years ago, um, I saw in a blog post through the Grant Professionals Association weekly newsletter, there was a lady who um, was talking about this huge federal grant proposal that they like they had planned ahead. They knew this thing was coming out and right. it was a work for a community college. She had gotten together like 12 other community colleges. They were doing this joint Mac Daddy incredible program that was going to serve so many kids and be this huge regional project. She's checking all the boxes, right? She said, this is what's interesting too. She was like, they released it later than we thought because you, you know, you think it's going to come out in June and it doesn't come out till July. And she's like, so during the grant period, I was on a cruise that I booked, you know, months and months in advance and I'd gotten sick. So she's like, so it's just the perfect storm of all the things happening. But she's like, at, at the end of the day though, that's no excuse. I'm a professional. I need to get my job done. The reason her application got denied was because she forgot to upload the abstract. Okay. That's that executive summary where you're just kind of quickly and usually a paragraph 
giving our quick overview. That abstract did not count for any points. It was not a form. It was just an, a, one of the requirements. And be, not only did she get denied, so her project didn't get funded, but because her application was deemed incomplete, they didn't even review it. So she's like, it's one thing to get denied, but at least get reviewer comments back. So, you know, okay, how can we perfect this for next year? So she's like, we don't even know if our program was a good one because we had no feedback because it was considered incomplete. And she was like, that was months and months of work and planning down the drain. She's like, I wrote the attachment, the abstract. I wrote it. I just forgot to attach it. And because when I checked forms, it said everything was complete because that wasn't a standard form they provided painful like I, I that just breaks that I'm story just cringing i'm just i've been cringing i'm cringing. yes my, my heart still breaks years later for this group of folks so yeah make make sure you're not missing any element because that's that's all they have to do is to kick you out is be like sorry incomplete application yeah, done a, a way to to wind your way through that is um trust but verify yeah. if you if they provide a checklist that's great but I also will go through an RFP. I'll print it out. I, I will kill a tree and I'm sorry for it, but I'll highlight every single attachment mm-hmm. and then I'll make my own list and yep. then I compare it. I don't do that for every grant, but for super complicated or more complex proposals, usually state or federal. Yeah. Because you just, and there, you know, you can argue, you can try and argue, well, y'all didn't fix your portal. They've got, all these other proposals in hand where people did upload the abstract summary. Exactly. So was that sloppy on their part? Yeah. Are they probably going to make an exception? No. Might they fix it for next year? Maybe. Yeah. Maybe. I like the checklist. I do the same thing. And, and my checklist is first I check it off when I know I've done it. Then I check it off again when I've attached it to whatever portal it is. And then before I hit submit, I go through one more time and make sure every piece actually did upload. Because I don't know how many times I've said upload, but then when you go review it one last time, it didn't go through. Or I've also uploaded the wrong document before. You know, especially if you're, na- you know, the ones that every, they're like, everything needs to be named, your agency, the year, yeah. and the name of the attachment. So it's very easy when all of them start, you know, ABC org 2023, and it's very easy to grab the wrong attachment and put it in the wrong place. So it's just, it's a lot. And it's, it's a wonder we don't have more mistakes than we do, honestly. You can also, if you're working with someone, you know, where you're part of a grants team, it doesn't have to be another grant writer. I used to have um, the make of this what you will, but we all helped each other out. But so the the marketing and communications person at the smaller nonprofit reported to me. And when there was a big, huge grant, I'd be like, hey, Dan, we're going to just go down this checklist and I'm going to call it out. And you're going to either look at the screen and see that, that, that it exists in there. Or there was one case where we actually had to provide paper because the eighties called and wanted it's like application process back to this agency. I don't know. But, um, and so it was like having a third party, if you will go through and check it out. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so speaking of thirds, the third <laughs> reason that, and, and this is kind of a grant writer burden thing in a way, but it's also an opportunity to educate up. Um, if you look, look if you are, Looking, I'm going to speak specifically to private funders now versus state and federal, because that's pretty straightforward. 
and that'll get into issues of eligibility versus competitiveness that's going to be our some that'll be coming up but um if the focus area in a private foundation that may not have all those checks and balances and barriers to apply right you just send something you just email something in if they are clear about their focus areas and you don't meet their focus areas as they define it like or maybe you meet it three quarters of the way but not all the way that can be a reason why they would decline your proposal and i have been there where you have people go oh but it's perfect because they fund um they fund you know pet therapy and it's like they fund pet therapy in children's hospitals in the Midwest, but they say they accept applications nationally, but they've never funded anything in the South, which is where I will be writing a proposal. It's, it's like you're, oh, but they can make an exception. And I've heard this. I've heard this yeah. from employers and I've heard this from clients. Yeah, but our program is so great. It's like, if they only knew about us, they would fund us. Yeah, sure. But I mean, and then it's kind of horrible, but I'm like, Nah, I, I just, if they're being clear, because so many private foundations, and that's another rant for another day, don't have all their information on the website, right? So I feel like if they have paid somebody or somebody's grandson got on there with his Weebly or Wix account or whatever he did, and he made that website, or someone paid and they'd have a website designer, and they took the time and spent the money to put on there what it is they're looking for, I'm going to take them at their word. I'm not going to try and convince them. I mean, and it could be a beautiful, wonderful pet therapy program or after school program or uh, parks and rec, whatever it is, whatever it is. But if that is not right where they are sitting, then it's kind of a waste of time to apply. I have had to, not recently, not recently at all, but when I was first getting started, I've had to apply for grants because someone said, well, because I told you to. Yeah, you're going to do I'm this. I'm so glad that I'm not living that life anymore because it was just, it was wasteful and it was, it was um, wasting resources and time uh, often driven by people who had no idea how grants worked. So one way as a grant professional that you could educate up is to point these things out that they say, it's not like three out of four ain't bad. You need to be on all four. You know, if they're like, we only fund this. If they are only wanting to fund indigenous or tribal or led organizations and you have a primary care clinic that serves a lot of folks who are indigenous or members of indigenous or tribal people or groups, but it's not led by a person that reflects that population, don't go there. I mean, y'all can at me wherever, but it's like they made it real clear that that is their focus or it's their first you know, a primary priority. If they're talking that kind of talk, you better, if your walk doesn't match that, then I, I just wouldn't go there. I feel like it's a waste of time. Um, they're not, I don't think they're kidding. And I, you know, I may not agree with it. I may find their stuff too narrow. I may think they need to give out more than 5% a year. But if they're telling you who they are and showing you on their website or other materials, I would believe them. Yep. Well, and that's a great segue into kind of the ranty portion of the podcast here. So listener. Yeah, like I haven't been ranting already. Yeah. Um, 
looking at eligibility versus competitiveness. And this has become my favorite phrase. Yes, we are eligible, but we're not competitive. Because I don't know how many times I have heard from clients and when I worked within embedded it in my own organization, um, doing grant work. We're eligible, we can apply. Well, yeah, we are eligible. We can apply, but do we really want to waste my time and your time and everybody's time and efforts on something that we actually are not going to be competitive? So as part of our job as grant professionals is we really need to read that, you know, notice of funding opportunity, RFP, grant guidelines, whatever you call it, and don't just jump on that least common denominator. Go, yep, they fund 501c3. We're that. Let's let's apply. Okay. So just meeting that very that bare minimum. You know, that may be good enough for a passing grade, but it's not good enough for a grant award agreement. Well, particularly right? highly competitive discre- federal discretionary grants, right? Where you can actually yeah. apply directly to the agency as mm. a nonprofit. Absolutely. Um, or maybe even a local government agency, right? I mean, the same, yeah. it's like, yeah, it's the same it's, thing. It's the same thing. It, just because, I mean, I hey. have, I have, um, I don't even know how to say that in a way that just, I would just, I, I have a pretty good set of teeth, but that doesn't make me a dentist, right? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So when you're reading those guidelines, things you need to look at is the scope of service that that's going to be provided. You know, does that match what you're doing? How many grant awards, you know, when a federal funder will tell you how many anticipated and when the answer is one or it's five, Mm -hmm. You're thinking about across the entire nation. If you're like, oh, and we don't check three of these boxes, you're not going to get funded if you don't check every box. I'm I'm just telling you right now, it's not going to happen. You also want to look at grant history. This is especially important for foundation funding. Um, They may say, you know, we, we fund anything in the realm of here in the state of Georgia, but then you go and look and it's like every year for the past 30 years, they've given to the same two nonprofits or even every, even for the last five years. Yeah. Fair enough. Chances are, if you don't have a relationship and they haven't encouraged you to apply, chances are you're wasting your time, even though they say, Hey, it's open and you can apply as long, you know, you may meet their requirements, but if they keep giving to the same handful of organizations year after year after year, they know who they're funding. So, which, and should they have checked that and their 990 only gives to pre-selected organizations? Absolutely. Should the IRS upload those 990s on time? That'd be great. Does that happen? No, not all the time, not all the time, but just giving, giving your best effort at research on that can just go a long way. I, can I circle yeah. back to scope of service again? Cause yes, I just, absolutely. I'm feeling compelled. It's because I've had to do, I even joke with one of my clients there, they do fantastic work. Well, actually all my clients do fantastic work, but I've had to have this conversation with more than one where it's like, right, you're serving, um, you you're serving maybe a hundred folks in deep work, like wraparound meeting needs. They're represented on your board. They're, they're, they're all these things, but this grant is, you can read it. It's like the scope is the whole state. Yeah. Conversely, I've had a client that serves a whole state to go, Oh, well we should pass this on to our coalitions. And I'm like, Au contraire, the the scope is actually your scope. 
So it's, I think sometimes, because I'm so used to doing it, because I've been doing it for years. I can, I can look at it, and Amanda can too, and I'm sure you can too. Look at it and go, yeah, what they're asking for is not either exactly, is not what you are able to provide. So let's try and either work with a larger agency or the local government agency that could have the much better chance and, and get in as a, like a sub recipient could yep. be another strategy. Yep. And if you're worried, like, yeah, but I've got that boss that tells me we're eligible. I have to do it. We've got a nice free handy guide on our website. Um, it's called the go, no go decision-making to guide. And there's a lot of people have this, this isn't, you know, something new and like, first out the gate. But if you haven't seen one or you want one as a great template and you can edit it to fit your own needs, but go to our website, heydayservices.com. You can, it's on the homepage. You can download it. It's just, I think it's about a two page document. It just asks questions, basically talking about your eligibility and your competitiveness and what the guidelines are saying. And it helps you. Some of them are yes or no, and you can take some notes and then you can kind of look back over and go, Oh, out of these 15 questions, we're no on over half of them. This probably is not a good fit. And that can be a good starting conversation to be able to go back to your boss or your board or whoever's pushing you to go, hey, it's not, I'm not just going, hey, we shouldn't do this. I have thoughtfully curated this, you know, information and, you know, based on this, we're not going to get funded. You know, I don't have a crystal ball, but chances are we're not, we're not competitive. competitive. However, let me show you these three other grants I found where we check every box. These are the ones I need to be spending my time on. So it's, it doesn't have to be, Hey, we're not going for grants. It's we're not going for this one, but we're going to go for the right ones. So and somehow, and I'm not, you know, I'm never a fan of extra meetings or extra documentation, I, whether it's paperwork or online, I'm just not here for it. But using something like this can sort of ease you past that conversation, particularly if the person to whom you are reporting is pressuring you to do this. It's like, okay, so we're looking at this, you know, and, and it's just, it's a document, it's a checklist, there's information so that you're, you're making your case for why it isn't a good idea. And somehow that is easier for people to accept, particularly people who are not familiar with the grants process gives them something to look at because they may be getting pressure from someone else to do it. But it's like, if you can say, if you have this document, it also works really well. If you're um, working with an ED you're, and they're going to board meetings and some board members are like, well, the Gates Foundation has lots of money or in Atlanta, it's always, well, Tyler Perry has lots of money. It's like, no one's denying that. And no one's denying the good that he does in his community. But the, you know, there are lots there are lots of ways to talk about, well, you know, this person traditionally gives this way, or this grant requires this, you know, you got to be this tall to ride this grant ride. So it can be a way to take that conversation out of, I just don't want to do it to here's why it's a good fit, or here's why it's not a good fit in this little document. So it could yep. be something to think about. Um, yep. The final thing I want to touch on, although I have touched on it all throughout because you can't keep a good rant down. Is, um, <laughs> The, the fifth reason is a com can be your grant gets denied because there's a complete lack of transparency, right, on the funder's part about how they make their decisions. And we've touched on it already in certain places, like they don't have a website. And they, yeah, this tends to be private foundations, right? The federal... The one... Oh, a good thing I can say about federal they're funders pretty is they're pretty open and straightforward. 
Yes, mostly. I'm going to say yes, yes well, mostly. I'm just going to leave it there. Um, but but much more so than private funders. I think we can I think we can stack hands on that. Um, if you don't have any website and you don't have or you have limited information, um, you, you if you really do only give to pre-selected organizations, but for some reason don't feel comfortable saying that. Oh, first of all, check yourself. Why are you uncomfortable saying that? Let it be what it is. If you've set up a foundation to make big donations to your children's private schools and your faith community, let it rip. Be that. Be that person. Support that education and move on. But don't say, oh, we accept all this stuff when you don't. Let's just don't waste anybody's time. That's I mean, I do have thoughts and feelings about the whole foundation set up like that, but it does exist. But let's just call it what it is. Um, your application to a big national corporate competitive grant process could be denied because sometimes they're set up as like popularity contests. And this really chaps me. It chaps me. Um, please don't make nonprofits go and beg their supporters to go on your corporate website and give their email address and vote in something. You know what? Just give the money where the money can go, and I'm sure you'll be celebrated wonderfully and adequately and thanked and feel good and feel good about yourself for whatever reason you need to feel good about yourself. Um, but that's those are notoriously difficult um, to succeed in. And I've often I've said to clients whose board, well-meaning board members said, hey, I just saw this and they're giving in this state. And then as the cold wind of doom that I often am, I go through and I read it and it's like, okay, they're giving one grant. They're giving one grant per state in this 10 state area, one grant. And it's any nonprofit, you know, and it's like, that's nonprofit. It's really vague, and you—they're doing it to generate good feeling in the community to get people to buy their products. So you know, full just news alert, spoiler alert. Um, I just really have a hard time with that. I think there are other ways to connect without making nonprofits jump through those hoops. But if you are constantly being urged to enter those things, I think it's you can use the go no go, and 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 point out one grant for. $20,000 and any nonprofit in the entire state can apply. And if none of the board members know anybody, if you don't have a board member from that organization on you, there's no uh, group from that company that comes and volunteers. I'm just like, really? I don't, I wouldn't do it. Um, and finally, and it gets back to transparency. If it's not clear how decisions are made, love them or hate them, state and federal grants are usually pretty straightforward about, we got reviewers. Here's a rubric. Here's 10,000 attachments you have to have, but here's a rubric and here are the points and here's how it breaks down. I mean, okay, you know where you are. Well, and you get feedback oftentimes too, so you can you improve should. that time around. You it's should. Fabulous. And um, I just, that doesn't usually happen with foundation funders. And I'm also, um, there. Are, there's also, not only does it not happen, not only are they not transparent a lot of times about who's reviewing it or how things are weighted, is it just a discussion they have about, you know, well, we need to fund something from the southeastern part of the state because that's where my vacation home is? I mean, are those the, is that how it's getting decided? Or do they have some sort of scoring system? And if they do, let's pop it out there and let's talk about it. And if they don't, 
then say, you know, the, the board members vote or whatever, and let's just be clear about it because, and that just gets back to, if you don't know how decisions are being made and you don't have a lot of information, then you may craft a proposal using all your expertise that doesn't meet their expectations because they didn't share their expectations. And it's like, it's such a losing proposition. If they would share more, then they would get applications that were more aligned to their focus areas and everybody would be happier. And I, I, I can't, I don't know why that happens, but I think that is a big reason a lot of times in private funding why things just, you know, and that is not your fault as a grant professional. If you do not know. Now, it's your fault if you write some shabby proposal that doesn't answer the questions and you forget five attachments and you try to turn it in five days after the deadline. That is going to be on you. But this stuff is out of your control um, and it needs to change. And um, I don't know, Amanda, are there any other examples that you have about lack of transparency? Anything that I just, ugh, it, it really, it, it just chaps me. And that's why it was the last one. Yeah. Um, oh no, it's, it's frustrating. And I mean, and it can be great when you're on the receiving end of it, right? Like I've gotten every year for the past, like three years, one of the clients I have, they get $10,000 from my foundation not because we do anything or apply simply because the chair of our board, his brother sits on the board of this foundation and he wants to support his brother's work. Now, as the recipient of that, it's great because it's no, there's no work on our game other than that connection. And we get some money that comes in every year to do some really good work. It's fabulous. But looking at the, through the lens of this application, but I'm like, but how fair is that to the other people who probably go through the process that they don't have that connection, right? So it's it it's good it's be, bad, right? It could be that if he's the chair on these larger foundations, there may be some discretionary funding that they can, you know, that they they have, you know, this for your for your particular project. Yeah. Could be that. Well, I don't think a lot of family foundations have that discretion. If it's your family, it's your foundation. If you decide this year, hey, I want to give money to this, I'm pretty sure it happens. And but if you're the recipient, Mab, just be clear about it. I mean, I'm just like, just put it out there. And then to say, well, we had so many applications, we can't possibly tell you why you were rejected. I'll be like, y'all, maybe if you were more upfront about what you were looking for, you wouldn't get as many applications or you wouldn't get as many that were such bad fits. And if you're so overwhelmed by work, you could probably pay someone to help manage that for you. Because if you have, you know, 20 million to 200 million in assets, I'm thinking you've got somebody that can help you figure out how to do that instead of just, oh, we're just too busy. And there are community foundations that do that. And I'm just like, y'all, really? And I used to be like, oh, yes, you're so busy. And I'm like, wait, 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 wait. You exist to give money to these you are set up according to federal rules and regs to give out this money so let's be smart about this maybe the maybe the issue isn't that you don't have time maybe the issue is you are not setting reasonable expectations and clear-cut examples of what you're looking for so maybe and maybe giving feedback although it might take time would then improve the process so I'm just a novel idea, Kimberly. I know it's almost like it makes sense, but um, I mean, there there are a lot of things that we could all do to improve the process. But I think speaking up 
is one of them. And it's easier for me to speak up now as a, as a consultant than it was as an employee. However, it wasn't impossible. I, at one point, helped a family foundation. I, I took a look. Bless them. They had their proposal in an Excel spreadsheet. I don't want to talk about it. It's, it, was, it was ugly. But I was yeah. just like, hey, way to move away from all paper stuff that had to be hand delivered. Yeah. You might want to look at this or you might want to look at that. Because she asked me for my opinion. It would have been easy for me to go, this sucks. Are you kidding me? Did you pay a lot of money for this? But I was just like, you know good step forward, but can you think about this or that, or this or that? And um, it's okay to start small. You don't have to have all the answers, right? You just have to start those conversations. Um, and there are going to be some people that are not going to listen to you because they really don't care, but not everyone is like that. And I'm, I'm convinced that there are some foundations and, and other grant funding agencies that have just never thought of anything about this before. They're just like, we're just trying to get out the money. We're just trying to get out the money. And, they, and it's like they haven't stepped back and, and, and gone, well, you know, what makes this process so painful? What can we change about this? You know, how can we do that? So it would be nice if I could wave a wand and make it all change. But starting those conversations, however small they may feel, is a good way to start um, writing blog posts about it. We have a podcast <laughs> about, about things we like to change. But, um, you know, speaking up, inviting funders to speak to fundraising and grant writing professionals. Well, just the, Yeah, the Georgia chapter of the Grant Professionals Association has created a committee specifically to talk about inequities in funding. And one of the things they're doing is trying to invite funders to come and have conversations with them. And it's these aren't people that are getting paid to do it. These are just people who feel like this is important. This is where I want to volunteer my time to make the world a better place. And that's, yeah. this is how they're giving of their time. And I, you know, are they going to make changes overnight? No, but are they slowly making those inroads? Heck yeah, they are. So bravo to that. And they're, they're um, GPA chapters all over the country that are doing this kind of work. And maybe if you are employed in an organization where your role is grant writing or fundraising or what have you, becoming a part of a group and participating in something like that is a safer way, a safer feeling way to start advocating for change because you're a part of this group. Um, and I also am real cognizant of the fact that your evaluation and your livelihood is based on how much money you bring in. And so I get that rocking the boat could be a scary thing, but there are other ways to do it and to just start moving forward. And, um, I just feel like that's the way to go. Yep. And to be clear, we're not saying if you perfectly read the RFPs and you check all the boxes and you submit it on time and you've got all the attachments, there's still a chance you're going to be denied because it is a competitive world out there. And there oftentimes is more requests than there is funding available. Sure. But you certainly are going to increase your likelihood of getting funding if you do all of these things. So that's where we're coming from today. So that is where we're coming from today. Thanks for coming along with us. So as we move forward ever closer to wrapping up season six, I still can't believe it. Before we go, I just wanted to hit the highlights again. Um, we're going to be super excited to be at the GPA Grant Summit, and we're in November 2023, if you're listening to this after the fact. And we hope to see you there if you're able to attend. We'll be the official podcast there. 
But if you would like to have further involvement in fundraising, hey day, first of all, God love you. Come on. Um, join our book club. We're going to be releasing information about that. It's going to be starting up in January, 2024. Hop on our wait list now. So you'll be the first to know we're going to have a book a month, fiction, nonfiction. It's a great way to foster a reading community of mm -hmm. grant and fundraising and just podcast listeners all across the place. And it's also a great way to support the podcast so that we can continue to offer the podcast absolutely free for anybody who can access the internet. Thank you again to our season six sponsor, DH Leonard Consulting and Grant Writing Services. We appreciate their support in making grants less stressful. Visit their website, dhleonardconsulting.com to download their latest resources today. We're so honored you chose time. You chose to spend time with us today. Uh, be sure to join us in three weeks because um, we're going to be celebrating five years of fundraising heyday. So yeah, we are on season six, but our first couple of seasons didn't quite line up with the calendar. It's just as we figured out what we were doing. But of November is when we dropped season one in its entirety out into the world. So we've got some listeners since day one. We are going to be hearing from them. We are going to be hearing from some new listeners, some former guests, um, and I'm sure there'll be sound effects and singing because what's a celebration without two of our favorite things. So exactly. we will see y'all back in your ears in three weeks. Bye.